Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Jackson, uh, is the YouTube still not working? Yeah. Because people can't see these war gerbil hoodies that we're wearing. I know. Matching. Roll damn tide, war damn eagle, war damn gerbil. That's right, Tim. Uh, yeah, now available at tmastlshop.com, and it's a sharp look. Uh, it's a big college football weekend here in the area. And then I'm walking in, and, you know, we have Gabe with us, brought to you by James Carlton, about uh, 11 minutes, the colonel. Uh, talking Missouri and Kansas State kicking off in 25 hours. And I'm like, yeah, we got the colonel. And I'm kind of peacocking around and letting Kerry Davis, Brooke Grimsley, Matt Rocchio, and Randy Carricker know what we're bringing to the table, fresh off a huge TMA with Lisa Ann. And uh, and they're like, yeah, we had Aaron Nola on a day he's starting. And I go, what? How's that happen? That's oh, crazy. yes, you have a legitimate show. That's and that, that's what that's what my inner monologue was. Yeah, but they don't have the colonel. Yeah, we got the colonel. That's yeah. a, that's an on the, exclusive on the day before he's doing journalism. That's correct. I need the post game show to take calls badly. I wonder if I could, because he kind of says, you know, I'll do anything if somebody pays me. Yeah, I wonder what it would cost to get him to open up the phone lines again. It should just be like for one game, though. Like, just like, do like a Last week game. would have been a really good one. Last week, I, would, I mean, that it was, was a Saturday mess. night and a yeah. tight one with Middle Tennessee. I think South Carolina could be a good game to do it against. Homecoming? Yeah, because uh, if you lose on homecoming, really bad. Mm. LSU, you lose. People expect it. Even this game, this weekend, the other dogs. So, But I feel like, yeah, last week or that South Carolina game would be a great opportunity for Gabe to start taking phone calls again. Their uh, opponent next week in St. Louis at the Dome, the uh, Memphis Tigers squeaked one out last night against the Navy Midshipmen, Mm -hmm. so they will be undefeated coming into next week. Will Missouri be undefeated? We'll talk that over with the Colonel coming up. Uh, But we have this Little Piddles Friday six-shooter presented by the Angry Beaver. It's a tradition unlike any other. You can participate by texting in the Air Comfort Service, text line 314 399 9646 here on Balloon Party, driven by Munganas, St. Louis Acura, and Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN. I know you have a wonderful six-shooter prepared for uh, our audience, Jackson. Why don't you start things off right here at 10.06 a.m., Jack? Sure, Tim. I can start us off right here, right now, time. with question one, just so I can fire this bad boy up. Question one. With Deion Sanders having early success at Colorado and capturing so much attention of the nation, could you ever see him making a move to the NFL in the coming years when looking at the differences between NFL and college coaches? Where do you think the mindset between those two styles differ? Uh, I think his, I'm going to say song and dance, but I think that has a negative connotation, and I couldn't be a bigger fan of Deion Sanders and what he is doing at Colorado, so I don't want to say something that comes across a negative connotation. I think his style is going to be much more effective at college than if he were to do it at the NFL level. Do you agree with me on that? Yeah, well, come from a recruiting standpoint, you know, he's such a strong suit of his. There's that, and there's also the way he talks to his players. That stuff isn't going to work if you've got, you know, 
quarter billion dollars guaranteed. Yeah, ten-year vets. Yeah, it might not it's just play not going to well. work. Yeah. So I think he is college all day. I think the, and this isn't to dismiss your question, but the question that I would wonder about more is: Is this a guy who is at Colorado in a few years, or does the moment a big SEC or one of the premier Big Ten jobs open up? that he goes, I'm going there. I would think the latter. You think that he would leave? Yeah, like, let's just for... See, I would love it if he's just at Colorado. He's the Colorado guy. Sure, but, like, just for argument's sake, like, let's say Auburn opens up. Hugh Freeze doesn't work out. In, in they do the, seem to have openings often. They do. I think he would absolutely make that move. I think he would go and try to conquer the best of the best because that's kind of Dion's. Now you can conquer the best of the best while playing for coaching for Colorado, but... Year in, year out, the SEC is going to be the best football conference in college football. So I would think someone like him with his mindset would want to go conquer that frontier. I'm anxious also to see, because inevitably, hey, this is this is standard business. There's nothing wrong with it. That what this is going to do is going to lead to a trend of a university trying to find the next Deion Sanders. And I just don't think there's going to be another one. We've talked about who is the... Who is the next Deion Sanders? And I think Deion Sanders is one in a million. Yeah, he's and, one of one. And that's it. Yeah. And so, but we'll see somebody who had a good NFL career, then they'll pull him in, and I just don't think it'll work. I mean, he did put in his time at Jackson State. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. it's not like he just jumped into Colorado and hadn't coached. We kind of saw that in Major League Baseball for a period of time. And I kind of feel like that period of time is over, where you had a bunch of former players without managerial experience. St. Louis did it uh, with Mike Matheny. And uh, you saw it with uh, former players who hadn't really been managers. It was a spurt of time. Sure. And uh, I don't necessarily see that as much. Now, if anything, you see more people who just didn't play getting opportunities or uh, certainly prominent in front offices. Jackson, do you have question number two at your disposal? Sure, Tim. Nice. Give me a moment here. All right. Al Michaels is under fire for his lack of enthusiasm again last night after his call of a Vikings long touchdown I need to play. Hear the call. Yeah, I'll pull it up right. here in a second. Oh, okay. But uh, do you think the youth are so used to announcers having higher, sometimes possibly hammed up enthusiasm, and the more low key style of play by play is now out of vote? Interesting. Wow. All right. Let me hear the call. I'm pulling it up. It's just, I'm, I'm sorry. We, t- we have like 30 seconds in between TMA. And oh, okay. I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. Um, it's going to take me like a, mm-hmm. um, all right, hold on. It's coming up. It's coming up. Oh my God. I'm intentionally letting this awkwardness breathe because I love it. Here we go. And third and 10 pressure on cousins steps up, throws deep downfield caught. And that's the rookie Addison for the touchdown. Now, I kind of, it's not fair. I kind of want to hear what happened afterwards. That, that's where the clip cut off. I understand. But Having said that, there's context of the score. It was 27. It was 27 or 20 to 7 at the time. So it wasn't like a game-tying touchdown. Yeah, I mean, I saw there wasn't really much, much defense there. They, they also, the one to K.J. Osborne, the man couldn't have been more wide open. Yeah, it was clearly sure. blown coverage. But... I don't. I feel like I, I, 
I feel like it kind of became a thing, and so now we'll get back on Twitter and we'll carry it over for Thursday night because we got to find something to complain about. That's kind of what I think. I like your angle on the the Gus Johnsonization mm-hmm. of play by play guys screaming. Certainly not all of them. Uh, I, I, this, so, for example, we played the clip of Joe Buck's call of. Uh, the, the punt return for the touchdown Gibson on Monday night against the Bills. And because Joe isn't screaming all the time, it stands out when his voice does carry that pitch and that level mm-hmm. because it was an incredibly significant play. It won a game and a game that will be talked about forever because of what happened four plays in for the Jets. So uh, I thought that that's warranted. I mean that I don't know. I don't I just don't really have a problem with that. I don't get I don't I don't like Al Michaels is one of the best to ever do it. Is this because he's older? What is this about? I don't know what the like why is all of a sudden this guy in the the crosshairs of social media? I you know that's always a, a fun question to kind of ponder over. I don't know the exact reason why he in particular is getting under fire, but he has had a run and also you know, had some comments about the Thursday night scheduling of last year where he wasn't as high on the scheduling. And then I guess in the last couple of years, it's just or last two years, people have started to notice that sometimes he'll have they'll have moments like this. And, you know, you can have your opinion one way or, one way or another, but that is a, a toned down call of a touchdown when you compare it to some other broadcasters out there. And so it's much more noticeable, I think, because more and more broadcasters go with the I'm going to yell on a touchdown. I'm going to go crazy when they score. And so when you have someone like Al doing this, it's much more noticeable. So I think that could be one of the reasons why he is a target. Nothing wrong with that call. OMG, do millennials complain about everything? Bunch of babies. Grow up! That's from the 314. I, I usually don't like to make blanket statements about groups of people. It's not the great. It's just not I thought, I thought you were. I thought then you were going to have a... But that was that was the statement. The yeah. statement was and remains. I don't usually like to make blanket statements about groups of people. Correct. Then I thought you were going to go, but in this case, but no, that's just it. That's a period, and that'll end the thought. Am I correct now? Yeah, that is, that, that is in itself is a blanket statement. I personally didn't have a problem with the call, but I suppose if we're to psychoanalyze the criticism, and as Al Michaels observed, I think it was an interview on. Stern, actually, but maybe I'm off. I feel like we played it. He goes, yeah, what people say on social media, who cares? Because now everybody's got a platform, but who yeah. really cares? But I know that it happened last year. There was one call in particular. I feel it was a Jaguars game that it oh, yeah. that it was just like... A, it was a game-winning field goal, and he just right. was kind of very understated. But I I don't know. I just I, The yelling thing... Yeah. There's a happy medium. It struck me. It's just... Like anybody can yell, you know. I mean, anybody can yell. It's not really. So I, I don't enjoy the yelling thing. Now that's that's certainly my own taste. But with regards to, for example, a call that I feel like has gotten universally praised, which was the Jets' punt return, Gibson's mm-hmm. punt return on Monday night. Part of the reason why the call was so great not only was Joe usually isn't screaming, so it stands out, but then also what was said: no flags. So just with that, with that seven-tenths of a second, he gave you incredibly important information that as a fan, you're going, well, it's a kickoff return or a punt return. There's inevitably got to be a block in the back. Right. But he made that observation. 
So he was able to do the job and then not make it about himself, which, you know, I feel oftentimes the screaming is. Uh, all right, it's 10, 15. That means we're already late for a break. That's on Jackson, of course. Uh, but uh, Gabe is going to join us coming up here. We'll talk college football, Missouri and K-State next here on Balloon Party. Driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura. I'll tell you, I don't want to win Right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking Tigers football with Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com. Brought to you by James Carlton of State Farm. Mention Mizzou to James when you request a quote, and he'll donate $20 to Mizzou's preferred NIL on your behalf. CarltonInsurance.net. Missouri, which I there is the state which I live in, which is called Missouri. Remix. Missouri is where I live. Missouri is where I live. Oh, oh, oh. Missouri is where I live. I like the robot that comes in here in a second. I live in Right there, yeah, that's production. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Balloon Party. That is the song Missouri will take the field to tomorrow at 11 o'clock sharp. Sold out for Oldfield. Jackson, will you be in attendance? I will not. What? I know, I wanted to go this week really badly, but... What's going on? Couldn't really secure ducats, and you know what? I'm I'm going to Memphis game. I'm going to go to the LSU game, so I can miss one week. Okay, we'll see what Gabe thinks about that. The Colonel, presented by James Carlton, CarltonInsurance.net, is uh, with us now for his Friday appearance on uh, 101 ESPN. Morning, Colonel. Hey, Tim, what what would your reaction be if Missouri ran out of the tunnel and they actually played uh, that song? I would wet myself for real. I think I yeah. might too. I, I would write my entire column about that. I would not even watch the game. <laughs> oh, I would truly be the happiest kid in town. You know what would make me the, the, the happiest kid in town? Is if you decided to bring back phone calls for the postgame show on PowerMizzou.com. Can that happen? Can any amount of money make that happen? Uh, it's not really about money. It's about the technology and the ease of handling it. Uh, so probably not. Oh, yes, man. I would beg. But if, if you are, if you're interested in sponsoring the phone calls, we can. Nice. We can <laughs> Maybe then I could win some Missouri fans over. 10,000 an episode. Oh God. That just seems like a good deal. I'll talk, with my, I'll talk with my guy about it. Colonel, this is the one, I mean, is this, is, would you agree that this is the biggest game for Eli Drinkwitz in his tenure at uh, Missouri? At least so far, All yeah. Right. I mean, I, I just I don't see how they can get to eight wins if they don't win this game. And I, I think eight is like the kind of the the line of it moves the needle. I mean, seven and five is a step forward, I guess, and it's an improvement over last year. But I don't know that it gets people extremely excited and you know fired up necessarily about the future. Eight and four would, and I think to get to eight and four, you've got to win this. If they are going to win this, what are they going to have to do that they haven't done so far in the two kind of grapefruit league games that they've played against South Dakota and Middle Tennessee? Uh, outside of play well? Yeah. <laughs> <Are you looking laughs> Colonel's keys to the game. Play well. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, they've got to play clearly the, the best game they've played so far. Um, I just have a hard time seeing how Missouri wins this game if it gets much over 24 points because – 
They've only they haven't scored thirty against a Power Five team. You know, it, they didn't all of last year. They probably did the year before. I, I can't remember, but I assume they did at some point. Uh, but they just don't tend to score much in these games. And it, we kind of went through all the different positions and matchups in this game. And honestly, I, I don't really know which one favors Missouri. I, I, I mean, I think they've got to score somewhere other than offensively, which is tough against Kansas State. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They haven't given up a special teams touchdown in five years, and they've scored 10 of their own in that time. So, you know, that the area where you're looking and going, hey, you can steal some points, I don't know if this is the team you can steal them against. I uh, I was reading on uh, Power Mizzou where you can read Gabe and uh, Gerard Hamilton and uh, Sean Williams and uh, all the uh, loyal fans on Power Mizzou talking about games and covering the games uh, this morning. And I saw a column written by uh, Land- uh, Landon Reinhart uh, talking about uh, the theory from K-State's defensive coordinator, Joe Klanderman that uh, Missouri has not opened up the playbook. He says, one of the hardest things for me is just trying to figure out whose identity they are. Uh, What do they have up their sleeve that maybe they didn't do those first couple of weeks that they'll have? That's for us to solve. I know you and I talked about this, that that becomes a theory that uh, the team has these offensive plays that they haven't unleashed. But the thing is, I mean, that, that Middle Tennessee game got real. And if you did have right. some some dry powder to utilize, you would have utilized it in the fourth quarter last week against Middle Tennessee. So I don't know how much I can latch on to that theory. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think there's there's got to be a couple tricks that they have that we haven't seen, right? I, I mean, I don't think they're going to come out and run the ball twice as much as they throw it tomorrow. If they do there's going to be a lot of people pretty unhappy, especially if it results in a loss. Now, that said, I don't think they're suddenly going, you know, Steve Spurrier fun and gun in this game and 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 just unleashing like an entirely new offense. I think the basics we've seen, but I think there have to be a couple wrinkles in there that, that they haven't shown in, in the first couple games. Uh, Klanderman went on to say they may not have had 50-point games, but they're explosive. I mean, they've got some great athletes. They've got a quarterback who can run. They've got talent over there and good coaches, so it's a scary, scary group. I agree. They have some athletes, uh, but this – I mean, that's what coaches say. There is nothing that has shown this Missouri offense to be explosive. Uh, They just – they haven't gotten very many big plays. You know, they they get – They've gotten, I think, one forty-yarder in the run game, um, but Cody Schrader isn't a guy that runs away from Power Five defenses. And, and in the passing game, I mean, they haven't—they really haven't hit much downfield. So, I, look, I understand that he's saying what he needs to say, um, but if I'm defending Missouri, I am jamming a bunch of people up at the line, and I'm single covering everybody except Luther Burden and saying. Feel free. I dare you. One of the uh, core issues that had people, including yourself, in particular in the second half, but to an extent the first half last week, wondering what's going on offensively is the performance of the offensive line. Uh, What can you tell us about any potential changes and uh, where things stand for the Kansas State game tomorrow? Yeah, Eli said after the game, you know, they were definitely going to look at personnel personnel changes. Then when we asked him on Tuesday, he said they've got to open up right guard. Um, Cameron Johnson has been starting. He mentioned him. He mentioned Marcellus Johnson, who's kind of moved all over the place. He's a 
transfer from Eastern Michigan. They thought he was going to be the right tackle. That didn't work out. And he's played 15 snaps and had two penalties. He mentioned EJ Andoma Ogar, who's a third-year guy in the program, fourth-year overall, called him a work in progress. That doesn't scream to me that he's going to start. Uh, I mentioned true freshman Logan Riker getting more looks in practice. I can't see that happening. So it's interesting because Eli told us in, in fall camp he thought he had eight or nine guys that could start on the offensive line. They played six. Only One of them's only played 15 snaps. So I don't know what happened to those other guys. I, I don't know who they are or why they haven't had any opportunity to see the field, especially when he was very critical of his offensive line last week. Gabe Yarman brought to you by James Carlton every Friday here on Balloon Party and every Monday on TMA. It's carltoninsurance.net, 314-961-4800. Or go online at carltoninsurance.net. James Carlton is my insurance agent. Uh, Colonel, uh, you know I enjoy monitoring the lines. And uh, interestingly enough, this spread got up to K-State minus five and a half. And over the last 24, 48 hours, depending on which book you're looking at, it is now dropped to... K-State minus three and a half. Anything transpiring that can help explain that? I, I mean, I, and, and look, I don't really follow it like you do, but I read something that said like 80 to 90% of the money from the public is on K-State, but like 60% of the money overall is on Missouri, which tells you that like the, 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 the sharp money, wager a lot of money are betting on Missouri. Um, it surprises – like, I haven't talked to anybody who isn't caught off guard by that line. And generally – And then what thinks it's, thinks it's lower than they would have thought? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And generally, when I see something like that, and your first thought is, that doesn't make any sense, well, who knows more, me or Vegas? Generally, Vegas. Because if I knew more, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I would just live off my winnings and, uh, you know. But uh, – I. I don't really get it. I think it's going to be closer than a lot of Missouri fans think it's going to be. But a field goal is – that surprises me. I, uh, I also noticed listening to a lot of podcasts, uh, one of the darling picks for upsets this week from Stanford Steve, from uh, who else? Heather Dinich on ESPN.com. I feel like there was another one. Bruce Feldman uh, picked Missouri. Yeah, picked, or picking or picking Missouri. I, you know, real straightforward. I haven't seen Kansas State play since they played TCU in the Big 12 championship game. I didn't see them against SEMO or Troy, so I don't really know what they're bringing to the table. I, of course, have watched Missouri, um, and I'm just trying to get a gauge on, on where K-State is and why people would be thinking of it, or maybe they just feel like they got to pick an underdog and that one that's the one that we're going to go with i don't know i think that may be part of it there's not very many good games this week like games between i think it's one of like four games between undefeated power five teams um i don't think there's a single ranked versus ranked game so i think a lot of people are going i don't know we got to pick something um (laughs) but you know k-state has outscored simo and troy 87 to 13 now some people are pointing to the Troy game last week was, I want to say, like 21-10 or something like that, late third quarter. Like, Troy hung around. Kansas State didn't put that one away early. But the difference between these two teams is K-State closed their game and Missouri didn't. K-State won that game 42-13. Missouri held on and limped across the finish line. And that's a trend with Missouri. They have not closed the games well. So that's what leads me to... If you are expecting it to be a close game, which I, I think it should be, I think it'll be a one-score game in the fourth quarter. Like one of these teams has proven to be able to close games out in the fourth quarter, and one hasn't. And 
So I, I can see picking a close game, but you're really taking a leap of faith saying, I think this is the week Missouri closes one out. I, uh, I want to get your perspective on this because Eli Drinkwitz certainly has, uh, I, I think his approval rating amongst hardcore Missouri fans has uh, dropped since this time last Friday, and that's because of what transpired with Middle Tennessee. Certainly a lot of people wanted to see Sam Horn get more opportunity, but I think it was that performance last week that that uh, exacerbated the the concern from some of the hardcore Missouri fans. There There is only one outcome, I feel like, that can keep things kind of status quo for Drinkwitz. In my opinion, now if you disagree, please. I mean, you can have one of four outcomes, or you can have four outcomes in a game, of course. Team wins by a little, team loses by a little, team gets blown out, team blows the opponent out. Uh, I think theoretically, all of those are in play. I suppose the one that would have the least amount of probability would be Missouri blowing out K-State, but hell, who knows? With that all said, um, I feel like this is a pivotal moment for his perception among the fan base in what is a critical year for him. Um, what are your thoughts on on these various scenarios and, and, and how things could look? Let's say if they do get a win and what that does, I think that in, in, excites the fan base. That goes without saying if they win big, that really excites the fan base. and They might be a top 25 team, but if they get blown off the field, what that then does. Your thoughts, sir? I mean, if it looks anything like last year, um, I'm glad I'm leaving town in a little over a week and won't read the message board for a little bit. Um, you know, it'll get ugly if, if K-State wins anything close to what, what last year was. Uh, but flip side is, I mean, everything we've talked about can go away by in about 28 hours. Yeah. If Missouri wins this game, I do not care if it's 3-2 to two or 96-7. to seven. Um, It is a win over a top 15 team, you will be 3-0 and in getting votes for the top 25, if not in it. You should be 5-0 and when LSU comes to town. I mean, if he does that, like, all this talk goes away. And, and I'm not saying it assures that he's back next year, but it would certainly point that direction because then you would look at this team and say, well, yeah, I think they're going to find four the rest of the way. I mean, they should get Memphis. They should get Vandy. And then all you got to do is win two of your last seven, and you're seven and five, and and they're not going to fire him going seven and five, you know. So uh, it's it's huge. I mean, for for perception as much as anything. Uh, but this this fan base, I, I mean, it has swung, like you said, in the last week. I I'd say last week it was you know sixty forty. Most Missouri fans still said, hey, I think he's the guy, or I think he has a a good chance to be the guy. And this week, like, there is no pushback from from even the most diehard people who have been in his corner, there has been very little pushback to, hey, there's serious doubt here. So I think it would be their best win, at least since LSU in 2020. And that LSU team, it was more brand-name than than it being a good team. Mm -hmm. You know, but but that was a huge his first season, no doubt. So I I think this would be right up there with that. Final question, and this is more uh, any facts and figures than opinion. Uh, Do you have any information on how tickets are moving for the Memphis game last night? Memphis improving to 3-0 by edging out Navy on Thursday night football last evening. Yeah, I don't have anything concrete. Um, A couple people on our message board did say yesterday, They've talked to people, and like fewer than 30,000 tickets have been sold. Um, I don't know what the Dome holds. Uh, I would assume it's similar to most NFL stadiums, seventy to 80,000. I don't know if that's accurate or not. But um, I, like, I think you're looking at a half-full stadium, to be quite honest. And 
I just don't like non-Power 5 games as neutral site games. Uh, Missouri played Arkansas State at Arrowhead. There was 37,000. It was kind of depressing. It, it was like, what, what do, what's this game doing here? I, I, and that's not a knock on Missouri for, hey, you get the game, you can get there. And it's it was important to, in, to get back in St. Louis. Illinois is not on the schedule for a little bit. You don't want to move a conference game. I understand why they did uh, did this one. But it's just ideally – you know, play Illinois there. Play Michigan State, Wisconsin, Iowa, you know, Notre Dame. Somebody somebody that's going to bring some fans, going to get Missouri fans excited because I don't think the casual fan looks and says, ooh, Mizzou Memphis, I'm, I'm interested in seeing that. Yeah. I think they'll go, yeah, I can watch that one on TV. I, I'll sacrifice the two hours and go see LSU or Florida. Play. If, if they were to get blown off the field tomorrow, I can't imagine what that thing's going to look like next week. And then at the same time, if they were to, to win, and like you said, whether it's a one-point win or a 21-point win, then I think people will be like, oh, Saturday night? Yeah, I mean, it's the Dome, but you know, I get a chance Maybe. to see a top 25 team. I think, lo- I think locally, I think in St. Louis, uh, it increases it. I don't know if it increases it to 50,000 people being there, but it at least gets something. Uh, the Colonel can be read at PowerMizzou.com. Are you doing the post? Post-game show tomorrow? Yeah, we're doing the post-game show tomorrow. Boy, the enthusiasm um, in your there. voice and, and your response is... No, I, I like the post-game show. It's, it, it's good. Um, we, had, we had a bunch of people on last oh, week. I was one um, of them. I was, I, was, I was lying in my bed watching you. How does that make you feel? Um, I felt better about things, you know, <laughs> but... Uh, but I, I, I hope you and your, your lovely wife enjoyed it. She, she was like, do you just sit here at 1030 at night and watch your buddy do a show and giggle at the comments? And I go, you know what? I do. That's exactly what I do. I mean, this is, this is excitement after you've been married for a little while. <laughs> hey, here's something that'll be hot. 15 years in, let's watch Gabe on YouTube. Yeah, that was, maybe it was an aphrodisiac, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I'm not going to reveal that. Yeah, I, I got to be honest. I'd feel a lot better if she was watching. <laughs> well, I don't blame you. Colonel, uh, enjoy the festivities tomorrow. I'm looking forward to the coverage on PowerMizzou.com. All right. Hey, am I going to see you guys in St. Louis next week, or is that too far away? You can't get there. Oh, that was a shot at me, Jackson. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm bringing my uh, my six year old. All right. Well, don't come down with uh, with you know pooping cough or anything next week. <laughs> we'll we'll hook up. Drop out of this. Gabe is slandering me. Thank you, Colonel. All right, guys. Have a good there one. There he goes, the Colonel, brought to you by James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency every Friday here on 101 ESPN and every Monday on TMA. We'll take a break, come back with more of the Little Pedals Angry Beaver Friday Six Shooter here on Balloon Party, driven by Munganess, St. Louis Acura, and Alton Toyota. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A Friday tradition unlike any other. Let's spin the chamber for the Little Piddles Friday Six Shooter. Presented by the Angry Beaver, a couple of blocks south of Bush Stadium. Mention Piddles for $5 off any pizza. 
Reds have Jew, Dodgers Puig, Braves have Freeman, Sox Pappy, A's have Chris, Pirates have Cut, and the Tigers have a Prince, Rays have Price, Indians Bull, Clayton Kershaw, wow, 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 <laughs> don't compare to a home team, what do the cards have? Thank you. Reminds me of 2011 NLDS. How do you do? One of the greatest series of uh, Mount Rushmore of Cardinal playoff series since 2000. Go. 2006 against the New York Mets. Nice. 2006 against... No, no, that was the only six. Don't argue with yourself, especially when you're on Lincoln. I mean, if you're arguing when you're on Roosevelt, people understand. But, I mean, you're on Lincoln. Let's go. 13 against the Red Sox World Series. What? I felt like that was a good series, wasn't it? It was warm garbage, bro. It was not a good series. Um, and there's so many other better oh, options. I mean, what are uh, we doing? 2014 against the Dodgers. Okay. I mean, it's live. I mean, it's not right. <laughs> okay. Um, Why don't we go with the 2011 World Series as our George Washington? Pretty solid. Okay. 2006 NLCS, I'll agree. Yeah. 2004 NLCS? Don't remember it. Well, it still it still happened. Right? I, I'm aware. I just I'm, I can't really comment because I don't remember it. I mean, that was the Edmonds walk off. That was the rolling off of Clemens. I've Why are you video. licking your lips at me like I'm well, on the menu? <laughs> <laughs> Where's HR? Uh, the fine folks, Angry Beaver. That's here. exactly right. I just dropped off a little bit of pizza, and you're enjoying a little treat. I had a little slice. What, you and you know feel what? like you had a little something on your mustache, and you were trying to catch it. <laughs> I had you had like the tongue some, of a hummingbird, <laughs> like a little grease. I don't know what to tell you. It's a touch of grease on the lip, and so I had to get it. Gabe flirting with me. You're flirting with me. Yeah. Don't soil the sanctity of my marriage vows on this show. Right, of course, but we know those vows have. Uh, never mind. All right. Uh, Who's that? <laughs> Where's look at Rob Ryder even threw his hands up right there. Sometimes I forget we're not on HD two. I gotta button it up a touch. Uh, either go, way, go that, on with your terrible Mount Rushmore. All right. Well, I, for me, okay. like this is Jackson's Mount Rushmore. Jackson's Mount well. Rushmore, which is only based on what Jackson remembers. Well, even yeah, though, well, yeah. Well, are you going to pull up like the 1970s series or the 60s? Well, I mean, I'm aware of Willie Mays's catch, but I wasn't around. Right. But you. All right. Never mind. All right. I'm going to give you mine. 06 NLCS 2011. I think we'll agree on that. Yes, 2011 World Series. We'll agree on that. I will also go 2011 NLDS. I think we can agree on that. And then I'll go 2014 against the Dodgers. All right, then I'll, we'll have agreement, and I'll just replace that. Even though the Matt Adams moment was wonderful, yeah. one of my favorites for mm-hmm. real, I'll take 2004 NLCS over the 2014 NLDS. Which I, I understand, am, of course. Right. <laughs> And that was against the Strohs. Another one that's kind of a sneaker one is the 2001 NLDS against the eventual world champion Diamondbacks. Mm. I remember Kurt Schilling on TMA. How and why, I have no idea. But uh, he was on, and I asked him about that. And he goes, yeah, that's like one of the best series that people forget about. But that was, I mean, each game was like one nothing or 2-1. to one. Oh, God. I was, I was in the press box when Tony Womack got that hit. And I was like on the verge of tears. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm a 24. Four-year-old man, and I got to go live on television. I pull it together, boy. 
Pull it together, boy. Pull it together, boy. Pull it together, boy. Pull it together, boy. Pull it together, boy. Let's see what that- they're saying. 2012 NLDS against the Nats. A nice play. Pete Cosma. Lightning strikes twice. It's a nice play. Yeah, it's a That's good a one. nice play. I don't, I don't know, know if, if I'm going to replace it because it was a great game, but I don't know how great the series was. Yeah. 06 See against the Padres. Magical. <laughs> they played the Padres in the first round back to back in 05 and 06, and like none of it's memorable. I think Reggie Sanders might have had a grand slam. Uh, Remember I'm day missing. games in out west, which was a. Confusing thing. I was at the one in uh, 2004 against Lima time. Jose Lima stunned the Cardinals. Nice. Be curious what was going on that evening. Uh, Jackson, do we have any other questions here? This angry beaver, little piddles, six shooter. I'm going to freestyle two very quick uniform questions. Oh, Just wow. very quick. Did Missouri reveal their uniforms tomorrow? Not yet. I'm literally refreshing tw- their Twitter account every minute to find out because I'm almost positive gold on gold. The gold jerseys with gold helmets? Yeah, almost positive that's what's going to be. Wow. Yeah. Well, the moment will it'll be on the national stage. Regardless, do you like, we just mentioned the Padres and Diamondbacks 01, 05, 06. Do you like the current Padres and Diamondbacks uniforms compared to the ones of old? This one should have left on the cutting room floor. Well, this is a freestyle. I know. The Diamondbacks had had the teal and purple joints, and then the, the Padres just had the basic navy blues. Uh, I didn't mind those uniforms, actually. I liked the Padres. I kind of like a classic uniform. That's why whatever Missouri does. Just yeah. And the Diamondbacks are an abomination at this point. Like Deion Sanders is up on set right now. What are they doing here? Is it Stephen A. Smith, I assume? He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. He sure what is, is the number on that Colorado State game? I want to say 9 o'clock start. 28 or something. Is that crazy. right? I don't know anything about Colorado State. I know their coach uh, got a bunch of attention for saying my mom taught me to take off my sunglasses and my hat when I met people. And I know people are going like, what are you doing? I don't think it would have mattered anyway, but maybe they really put it on them because of that. I have no idea. Hello, friends. Friends are walking by the uh, 101 studios. What time does that game kick off, Tim? 9 p.m. Central time. Nine. Okay, 9 p.m. Right. Yeah, they're not going to do a 9 a.m. start. <laughs> not, not this week anyway. Well, if it was 11, I guess that's mountain time. Right. Uh, that number is 23 and a half. 23 and a half. All right. Over under at 62 and a half. So, I don't know much about the team out of yeah, Fort I mean, that's Collins. The thing. I don't know anything about Colorado State. That's, All right. that's the core issue. I got real questions, not these uh, freestyled ones. Right. I just, you know, something that came to my mind. Here we go. Question two. Looking, oh boy, I lost my place. This is off to a red hot start. This is another spot where I'm not going to say anything to increase the awkwardness. Sure. Uh, continuing the college football discussion. Uh, I've seen that we've talked about the weird number and then some college football pundits saying that Mizzou could They're pull off the They're taking Missouri. They're yeah. picking Missouri. Is this the absolute pivot point in Eli Drinkwitz's tenure at Mizzou? Winning the game could make people forget about what's going on. Losing the game could be the thing that starts the conversation of how hot is that seat. Well, I think if they lose 20-17 to 17 or something like that, I don't think that necessarily happens. I think if they lose to Memphis or Vanderbilt in the next two weeks, it could. But if they get blown off the field, as Gabe said, uh, then it just opens it up to all hell breaking loose. At the same time, the outcome can have the opposite effect, where if they win it, or if they somehow win comfortably, they're a top 25 team in that last scenario, I believe, 3-0 yeah. with a win over Kansas oh, yeah. State, an really impressive great. win over K-State. And then you start to go, holy crap, yeah. now you got Memphis and St. Louis and Vanderbilt. There's a really good chance they're undefeated against LSU. Right. 
And if LSU is a one-loss team at that time, you're going to have a high-profile start time and a bunch of people coming from Kansas City and St. Louis and all parts in between throughout the state to go to that game. So it truly is, from my standpoint, the, the widest delta of potential outcomes for Eli Drinkwitz. I think at the same time, if they lose just by three, you go, okay. Yeah, it doesn't really change You know much. what I mean? Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's, but it's also how it how it happens. Yeah. I mean, that's why when people say, well, he's got to win six games or he's got to win seven games. But what if you win seven games against a couple of teams that turn out to be terrible? Let's yeah. say South Carolina is terrible or yeah. Florida winds up being terrible and you beat them. But you get blown off the field by Georgia, Tennessee, and you know whoever else that come Kentucky, I suppose. Sure. And maybe so all hell breaks loose against another one that you didn't see Arkansas, coming. Yeah. And you go, okay, well this thing isn't really advancing. So that's why the way that it goes down is important. Which is why I was relatively speaking bullish coming into this year with all the returning starters, and that they truly could have been easily eight and four. Could make a case for nine and three last year, but at the same time. A lot, a couple of the wins were uh, were near losses. It just depends on your perspective. Point being, they didn't really get blown off the field, minus the Tennessee game and Kansas State last year. So yeah. that was progress versus twenty twenty one. That's why evaluating college football is so much different than the NFL. But it's still important. Like right now, I would bet on the Vikings next week all day long, assuming that they don't have substantial injuries from last night. They they could easily be two and zero. They had four fumbles last night. Oof. Total outlier. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be great value next week. From my standpoint, I have no idea who they're playing. It doesn't matter. I think they'll be undervalued. So that's how I observe uh, where Drinkwitz's status is. But yes, three of the four outcomes can substantially change his perception for Missouri fans. It is 10.52 in St. Louis. We'll take a break. Come back with our final segment of Balloon Party here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. Final segment of Blue Party for the week. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you here. It's driven by Mungan S, St. Louis Acura, and Alton Toyota online at stlouisacura.com and altontoyota.com. Jackson, I mean, it's 10.56. We got time for maybe one more. Hell, I don't know. Oh, good thing, Tim, because I got a quick hitter. Nice. Amon Ross St. Brown said this week on his podcast, that he does with his brother, Equinemia St. Brown. Thank you, who was a, uh, didn't dress last week for the Bears. I know, yeah. I think he will this week because Chase Claypool doesn't enjoy blocking. Sure, he does not. I have a lot of uh, Bears stock, so I hope that they improve. In regard to his TD celebration from week one, that he was one pump away in terms of his pelvic thrust celebration from getting a flag. This is, of course, life imitating art as Key and Peel had a sketch describing this exact situation. This fuels me to ask. What is your favorite touchdown celebration of all time? And are the days of people having a signature celebration over? Uh, no, I don't think they're over. I just can't think of one right now. Uh, because everybody's doing them. I would say, I mean, inevitably, any St. Louisan of a certain age or above would say the bob and weave. I'm going to go back to one that was I was kind of too young for, but I remember it. The Washington, they were known as a different name. Right. Fun Bunch in the 1980s. Uh-huh. I remember. Do you remember that? I've seen video They'd of They'd get together that, with yeah. the offensive line and the receivers and yeah. tight ends. Yeah. And then do this thing. And then I remember one time one of the Cowboys, like, stepped in the middle of it and tried to break it up. Yeah. Well... Cowboys also tried to stop Terrell Owens from standing sure. at, the, at the at the star, sure. which was one of the coolest celebrations of all time. So I would, uh, I'm going to go with the fun bunch. 
Yeah, I think that's a good I call. I loved Deion Sanders high-stepping. Incredible. It's all Deion Sanders all the time now in this program, but yeah. uh, I loved the high-step. Yeah. Loved the high-step. Yeah. One of my favorite touchdowns ever, Ozzie came and Torrey Holt with having a chance for a conversation as they run down the sideline on Monday Night Football to open up the 2000 season against the Denver Broncos. Yeah. That might that actually, outside of winning the Super Bowl, could be the highlight of St. Louis Rams' existence, is that moment. Them having that conversation on Monday Night Football. That was a great moment. You're coming off the heels of a Super Bowl, and you're dominating week one. Like, is there a higher peak? That, that you're on Monday Night Football, a place is going crazy. That's a nice play. I mean, I'll take the pro catch. But uh, if you're taking right. playoffs out of it, that was outstanding. Uh, somebody uh, texted in the Todd Kenshin uh 1995, uh, when the Rams were beating up everybody early on in the season, he would hit the goalpost, and I think maybe they jumped out to a lead against the 49ers, mm-hmm. who were the defending Super Bowl champions, and then all hell broke loose, and uh, Ken Norton Jr. then beat the hell out of the upright, and then the quote became same old sorry-ass Rams. <laughs> Doesn't matter if they're in Anaheim or St. Louis, same old sorry-ass Rams. 1995 mm. at Bush Stadium. Yeah. By the way, I'm always partial to uh, a Nike def- Shuffle Love coming into the uh, yeah Air Comfort before, Service. Touch station. before my time, but I'm always going to be partial to dunking it on the goalpost. I mean, I always Tony I, Gonzalez. Yeah, anytime Tony Gonzalez or anyone would really do it, I know they've outlawed it, but it was I loved it. I thought it was great. Always goes back. Joe to Horn that. pulling the cell phone out. World yeah, class. That's kind of hackneyed. It's carrot top prop comedy. What about Randy Moss uh, mooning the Packers? Much to oh, Joe Buck's cer- delight. Certainly a uh, famous one. Yeah, Joe wrote about that in his books. Good entertainment talking about it. Yeah, I, I, I have a fun bunch. I don't know why. Maybe it's just a nostalgia. Sure. It's a fun but, name uh, to but, say. But the uh, the Bob and Weave. Yeah, that's a good that one. That was wonderful. And then Denny Green wasn't happy and he was on the rules committee and they outlawed it. <laughs> So stupid. Can you imagine that now? Anyway, we got to go. BK and Ferrari are up next. I hope everybody has a wonderful weekend. And we'll be back on Monday talking about this Missouri win and Illinois upsetting Penn State. So that's kind of what we got going for you. Can't wait. Can't can't wait. Time for us to shut it down for Action Jackson. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Munganess' presentation of Balloon Party on 101 ESPN.